For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. David Aker has been hailed as the father of modern branding for his many contributions to the science of marketing. They include hundreds of published articles and 17 books, of which more than 1 million copies have been sold. David's latest tome, The Future of Purpose-Driven Branding, Signature Programs that Impact and Inspire Both Business and Society, cast a spotlight on why companies need to address the existential threats in the world and how to integrate signature social programs into the business. Filled with examples of purposeful companies, the book also explains how to drive momentum for and scale a social program, including creating brand communities. David, Vice Chair of the Brand Management Consultancy Profit and an American Marketing Association Hall of Fame inductee, joins me to discuss key aspects of his new book, and lessons he's learned over his remarkable career. David, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. So off the top, David, I had mentioned in my intro that you've written several seminal books on marketing and branding. Tell me why you chose to focus this particular one on purpose-driven branding. Well, I've always had an interest in this because I just think it's such an important set of issues, the the climate change, the inequality, and people's personal health. So I think that we need to address that. And mm-hmm. business can address that. They have the know-how, they have the agility, and government just can't do it all. And one of the bright spots in this world of polarization and so forth is the fact that companies are stepping up and they're really making a difference. And it's uh, it's a, such a, a needed you know, point of optimism that we have in the system. And so that's really what directed me to to sort of expand my thinking and writing into into a book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should say also that uh, not only is it something that businesses can do and need to do, it's something that businesses can benefit by. And hopefully we'll get into that in terms of the benefits as we move forward. So in your book, uh, David, you advocate for brands to embrace social impact programs what is the nature of such a program and how can they make a meaningful difference? Which probably will answer the benefits question. Well, when I look at what companies are doing, they're really floundering. I mean, uh, first of all, not everybody's on board with the motivation to do something, but a lot of them are. And they're kind of floundering. They they sort of gravitate toward uh, grants and volunteering and uh, energy goals, all unbranded mostly aimless, uh, all difficult to communicate to, uh, you know, to, to one of their prime uh, audiences, which is employees. Employees now are really insisting that they have meaning in their professional life. And so uh, that is a sort of ineffective. Mm-hmm. And so what I looked at around at companies that were really doing it right, and what I saw was branded signature programs. And these are really focused programs that that make a difference. And they make a difference because they are focused. They make a difference because they have a brand. And a brand guides, a brand inspires, a brand communicates. That's what a brand does. In the absence of a brand, you're just not going to get that kind of impact. And, And stepping back a minute, what I find in this whole area of how do you develop effective programs is an absence of branding. It is really quite extraordinary. 
Why is that? <laughs> it's just amazing. And actually, I found that in my previous book, the Disruptive Innovation book called Owning Game-Changing Subcategories. And I, I looked at you know, the only way to grow is to create a new subcategory was must-haves and so on. And and there's there's dozens and dozens of books on that topic that don't mention branding. I mean, Clayton Christensen, the Blue Angel, the Blue Ocean people, and on and on. There's a hundred books that are very good, great people. Mm-hmm. No mention of branding. It's just extraordinary. And so we go into this higher purpose area, uh, doing social good. And again, you find branding is way under under leveraged, way underused. And yeah, you got to wonder why. It's a great question. I, th- I think that one reason that disruptive innovation didn't have any branding is that people writing those books were not marketing people. They were, and they certainly weren't branding people. They were economists. They were public policy people. They were business strategy people, like Michael Porter. And branding's not on their on their on their agenda of strategic options. And so you go into this area. And you see a lot of uh, writers that are interested in uh, conscious, uh, you know, capitalism and changing capitalism. And these these two are economists. These two are public policy people, and they uh, they tend not to be marketing people. And then we have the big elephant in the room, and that's ESG, which, in my opinion, is just set back our whole effort. Amazingly, it was developed by finance people in 2005 as a way to alert investors to to companies that were doing good for society, that were making windmills and so on. And they wanted something empirical, so they developed a hundred measure scale. And so you're measured on whether, you know, what the percent of your board is is minorities, what percent are women, do you use slave labor? And on and on, there's, there's, uh, the, you know, the, the, the 46 measure or something, you might can put in something that does something like the, uh, the Dove Real Beauty campaign mm-hmm. or uh, Hellman's uh, Make Taste Not Waste program. And that's really making a huge difference, reaching a lot of people, changing the way what people do. But that's not going to appear in the ESG world. Let's just stick with that for a second. So what's your message to brands? that are aligning against ESG. What I say to them is that uh, what you're doing is okay, and uh, it, it's a it's positive, but what you need is branded signature programs okay. because that's what's going to make a difference. And that's almost separate from ESG. It, it, it fits a little bit in one of the 100 or, or two of the 100 measures, but you know not so much. It, it's, it, it's really needed beside ESG. ESG doesn't get you there. So you mentioned that there have been lots of books written about efforts to improve society. What is it about your book, about your take, that makes it different? Well, I think the main thing is it brings branding to the table in two ways. One, it says you need to brand your program. You have a, And you have to have signature programs. You might have two or three, you might have eight or 10 of them, but you need Mm -hmm. signature programs and they need to be branded. Because uh, as I said, a program needs to be guided, needs to be inspired, needs to be communicated, and that's branding. That's the first thing. And so you have to find the program that works for you. It might be 
a nonprofit that you adopt as your signature program, like Thrivent, the financial services company adopted Habitat for Humanity. And they did that in 2005. They, over 15 years, they've generated $285 million in, in donations. They've got $6.2 million in volunteer hours coming from not only their employees, but their customers. It's made a, a huge difference in the world. And it's made a huge difference for Habitat for Humanity. The second branding uh, element that is involved is the business brand, because this uh, signature program needs to give the business brand an energy lift. It needs to give it an image lift. Mm -hmm. It needs to give it a, a way to connect with its constituency, namely the employees and customers and, and investors. It's It's got to build the business. And there, there's a couple reasons for that. One is it can. And, you know, you 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 have these books like Michael Porter and Mark Kramer wrote a, a famous article on HBR saying that the social programs ought to benefit a business. There ought to be a shared value. But they talked about this this kind of thing that they talk about in, in the investment world. Uh, and that is that you, you ought to make windmills or the firm ought to make... Uh, you know, organic farming or, mm -hmm. or something. And uh, there's not very many firms that can turn their business strategy into something like that. Mm -hmm. But all these firms can benefit from if, if not making windmills, but getting their business brand elevated. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think what the Thrivent involvement with Habitat Humanity has done for the Thrivent brand. It's given us enormous energy and visibility. It's given it. It really supports their basic image of of do good for people. They have a a value that is live generously, live generously for their clients and their employees, and that means it's not just for you. Well, the habitat got nothing to do with financial services, but it certainly supports that value of of thriving. And then talk about engagement and connecting. I mean, if you have a part of a team that goes to Africa for two weeks as part of Habitat, and this is a community that comes out of the Thrivent uh, membership, which mm -hmm. consists of 2 million customers and, and tens of thousands of employees, and they form action teams, and they go all over the world building homes. Well, if you're a member of this team, or if you're a family member of somebody that was on this team, or a friend of somebody that was on this team, you are going to be really uh, connected mm -hmm. to Thrivent and to Habitat for for that. So the second brand that's involved is the business brand. So what I'm saying is that I'm I'm sort of extending the ideas Porter and Kramer that said, yeah, you need shared value, but it's not because you contort your business model. It's not because of the you save cost because of energy use reduction. It's because you build up the brand. So how does a brand identify a um, societal challenge that's right for the business and all of its stakeholders? That's a really good question, and it's not easy. So what you look for is ways to apply your your resources if you can. Now that's sort of the the first cut. You know, like a Goldman has a, a wonderful program called 10,000 Women that they developed in 2008 to try to build up the entrepreneurial women class of people in the third world. And 
it's been enormously successful. They've reached 10,000 women and then they doubled the goal, mm-hmm. but they give them education on, on management and entrepreneurship and they give them access to capital, which they didn't have before. They made a huge, huge difference. And what's that's done, that really is built off of their know-how, their access to capital, their understanding of entrepreneurship, and it puts that to use. So that's one way. The other way you look for a, a, a fit. If it can't be, uh, you know, use of your resources, you look for a fit. And with Thrivent, for example, they have this long-term history. They were started 120 years ago as a, a service to church congregations in the Midwest. And Give Generously has mm-hmm. always been part of their thing. And so helping people with their homes is a fit. And a third thing, you kind of look for a spark. There's got to be passion. And so you what often happens is somebody in your organization that might be a CEO and might be, you know, somebody uh, way down the organization that just, you know, we got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And I had this experience and I'm doing something and why don't we uh, leverage that? And that sort of starts the uh, the program. And so you get something a little bit out in left field, like Avon Walk for Breast Cancer, for example. It just really came from a spark that mm-hmm. somebody maybe had experience with breast cancer or, yeah. or loved one and they got into it and suddenly they were able to sell this to the organization. You mentioned earlier about that Sunburns flounder with these social impact programs and I'm sure there are myriad reasons, but is one that their brand purpose and mission is not aligned with the program? The brand purpose is is really important, as is the CEO support, which goes along with that. Mm-hmm. But th- there's some misconceptions about purpose. First of all, a lot of organizations have been able to have a purpose that is an umbrella over their business and their social effort. But uh, a, a lot of people can't. And what they end up doing, distorting their purpose or leaving social uh, programs out. So what they need is a side-by-side social purpose as well as a business purpose. And then the business purpose is free to do its thing. And the social purpose is the one that gives umbrella, gives permission for a, a really vibrant social program effort to exist underneath it. The other thing to, to note about purpose is that it's uh, a lot like a brand uh, identity or brand vision or brand pillar or, or uh, brand principle, it, if you get it right, it's total magic. I worked with uh, Berkeley Hawes uh, developing their principle. First of all, it took a long time to do so, but they have something called confidence without attitude. It's so differentiating. It's so important to everything they do. It's changed everything, who they hire, how they screen students, uh, what the culture is. It's so important. And so when you get the purpose right, when it really clicks, it's it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, um, you know it's going to work. You don't have to test it. That's mm-hmm. my measure of, of something brilliant. You don't have to test it. But it's not hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It, it, first of all, it's just flat hard. Second of all, it takes a long time usually to get it right. You have to, sometimes it takes years. Sometimes you never get there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a spectrum of purposes. And at one end of the spectrum is the home run. The other end is the one that just didn't work. You just couldn't get it. And it sits there and it does nothing. It doesn't do any damage, but it does nothing. Nobody knows about it. Nobody cares about it. It doesn't influence anything. 
it's 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 pretty much the same as having no purpose at all. Hey there, Beyond Profit listener. The ANA Marketing Futures podcast, hosted by Michael Berberich, provides a deep dive on the future of marketing. Whether it's artificial intelligence, the metaverse, or the practice of innovation, the podcast demystifies emerging trends, shares unique perspectives, and breaks down issues relevant to marketers. To learn more, visit ana.net slash podcasts. And now, back to the show. How do you integrate a social program into a business culture? You had mentioned the importance of the CEO being on board. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, what, what else has to happen for employees to embrace such a program? I, th- I think that uh, there has to be a passion and a long-term commitment, and it should be a social program that's really emotionally evolving. That you know, you see those houses being built. You you hear stories. I wrote a book called Signature Stories, that another underused marketing asset, in my opinion. But anyway, you need some vivid stories. It has to touch people emotionally, and second, it has to be effective. It has to really uh, be credible. It has to be uh, impactful, and it has to not. Or it has to be authentic. It has to be not viewed as, you know, this is just selling. This is just uh, greenwashing. And you just want to look good. You really don't care. So to combat, you have to have not only uh, enough passion to really know about it, to be a thought leader. And you have to have enough passion to make a commitment. You know, Thrivebent has been with Habitat for 17 years. Uh, you look at Habitat's Big 20 that they have as as uh, sponsors, the Big 20 sponsors at the National Habitat. That doesn't count the 84 Habitat chapters. But of those, I don't know, 16 of them been with them, I don't know, 10, 12 years. So if you show commitment, that really uh, doesn't raise the specter of of uh, being skeptical about motives. But then it comes down to you, you, you really have to integrate the program into your business strategy, right. like uh, like Dove did, like Lifeboy did, like uh, like Salesforce did with their pledge 1%. You have to um, make sure that you re- recognize that this is going to provide energy. This is going to lift the image. This is going to provide a connection, but that has to be actively managed. And you have to actually do it. It doesn't happen uh, all by itself. You've mentioned a few times now about Thriving and its relationship, partnership with Habitat. Just talk a little bit more about the importance of working with nonprofit partners on social programs. Well, there's two kinds of social programs. The internal program, like Dove uh, Real Beauty or or Life Voice Help a Child Reach Five. But the problem with an internal program is that they're hard to find. They're hard to find that they're they're not taken, that Mm -hmm. the the program is really real, that it's relevant to a bunch of your customers or investors, their stakeholders. It's not Mm -hmm. just relevant to a few. And then you have to create a brand. You have to create a brand, Help a Child Reach Five or, you know, Pledge 1%. And that's not easy to create a brand, to get visibility, to get traction. You know, why should people learn another brand? Mm-hmm. It's not easy. So, and and then it's it's not so easy to to make the program work. There's a lot of risk in starting a program. 
uh, and maybe it, it works, but it's struggling. Maybe it's marginal. It, it's going to be hard to really uh, get behind it. So you, you look at a nonprofit, you find something like Habitat for Humanity. That works. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really works. It's been proven over nearly 50 years, 40 years plus. It's It's got a formula and you just sort of turn the crank. It's mm-hmm. all set up for you. To, to, and the brand is already there. Mm-hmm. They've already got a strong brand. It's a positive brand. It's, it's. Uh, there's no skeptics. It's got great visibility, a great traction. So why not take that brand and that program and adopt it for your own? Now maybe you uh, you have your own twist on it. Home Depot also sponsors Habitat, and they have a, a twist on it. They they do homes for veterans. So it's a it's a kind of a niche for Habitat. Thrivent has a, a brand called Thrivent Builds. So it's their Habitat brand. And it's got a few special twists. They have these action teams that are involved in it. They they get a lot of donations and fundraising from churches mm-hmm. that they have access to and, and others don't. So you can adapt it to your own thing. Maybe you own the fundraising thing like Avon Walk for Breast Cancer. You you have to find some way to connect mm-hmm. the two, and that becomes your challenge. So when the social program reaches some level of success, how do you scale it for maximum impact? Oh, that's a really favorite topic of mine. You know, I've run into these nonprofits that are so persuasive, so good. And then 20 years later, they're also so persuasive and so good, but they're still in their little regional they're serving these same three cities they served before and that's so frustrating greatest example of scaling uh, i'll give you two one is salesforce when they were founded in 1999 uh, mark benioff had this idea of of doing good for others and he said i'm going to make a commitment to give one percent of my product one percent of my uh, profit and one percent of my people's time to good causes mm-hmm. and so forth. I'll make that commitment. We call it the one, one, one. Well, they relabeled it as the pledge 1%, but they early on, it said to open up the challenge to other firms. Why don't you do the same thing? 10,000 firms now have signed up for pledge 1%. I mean, you can you imagine the? this has created now a, a sort of a, a floor of being involved in, in good works for companies. 10,000 companies. I mean, the the impact of that program on the world is really magnified by Mm -hmm. 10,000. And what they did was they have a very clear program, a very, uh, this is how you can do it and how you can measure it. And they actually measure these 10,000. They have reporting schemes, so they know they're doing it. And then you can use the brand, the one percent brand. And so if somebody said, yeah, they're, they talk big, but they're, Given their size, they're really doing nothing. Well, they're doing one percent. Another is a uh, a nonprofit that started not too long ago, eight years ago, when somebody observed that that homeless needed showers for all sorts of reasons, self respect, and mm-hmm. you know, getting a job and so on. They didn't have access to showers, so she started providing showers for the homeless. And she recreated some uh, big uh, buses that were going to the junkyard and she made them shower machines. 
And she started, it got a lot of publicity and she got a lot of calls from others that wanted to do this. And so she's now, six or eight years later, converted her whole mission. She now is supporting people doing it around the world. And now there's 80 or 100 of them because of her organization called Lava May. Her organ, or Lava May X now is a new organization that has supported all these other organizations. And, and they, she has a complete handbook how to do it. She has a complete uh, consulting staff. She has a community, a brand community that people can join and exchange information, talk about problems and solutions and so on within 10 years. And, and just a sidebar, she developed a branded way of doing things called radical hospitality. And that simply means you treat these uh, clients as you would treat a friend. Mm-hmm. You talk about their interest in their background, what their goals are, and so on. And that has really differentiated them as well. And that's what I advocate for all social programs. They should find what I call their their silver bullet brand or their secret sauce and, and brand it mm-hmm. and, and run with it like Radical Hospitality did. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that there is some risk to launching a social program. And you um, argue in your book that many brands just pay lip service to their program. So talk a little bit about that issue and others that you may that you're seeing out there. Well, especially when you take the view that a major role of a social program is to help a business. That's mm-hmm. I, job one is to address a social problem that's real, feels real, and even an emotional level, and you do it confidently with impact. But job two is to help a business, and. One byproduct of job two, if you help the business, you are going to thrive because you're going to get resources. You're going to get the endorsement of that business. So Help a Child Reach Five is endorsed by Lifebuoy, which means it gives it a whole bunch of credibility. And it gives it resources, gives it know-how, gives it volunteer help. It, it gives it an ongoing source of resources. But, but when you have that as job two, and that's really an important part of your whole program, you're especially vulnerable to the argument, this is greenwashing. You're just mm-hmm. doing it to sell uh, bar soap. And for one thing, you are. And so you're particularly vulnerable. So what you really have to do is to exhibit passion for the program and the output. And and you have to do that in several ways so that that it just, just doesn't come up. It really, mm-hmm. nobody accuses, well, I don't, that's probably too strong, but uh, Dove Real Beauty doesn't attract uh, uh, skeptics that accuse them of being cynical. It's it's just such a uh, program, and then they they every year they do something different. You know, the one year they have this sketch program where an artist sketches you from your self description, and next year they'll have they'll show people you how the the effect of makeup on on beauty and how phony that is. Then they'll have people walking through doors, beautiful and not beautiful, in, in a store. And all these interesting experiments that are, are it get so much attention and so much viral uh, activity. When you do that, you, you get the sense this company is really interested in this stuff. So you're adding energy and thought, and it's clear that you're, you're investing in this thing. And it's also clear that you're putting your reputation on the line. You're doing a long-term commitment, and it's part of your business model. 
Lastly, David, um, as I mentioned at the top, you've written hundreds of articles and 17 books. What branding lessons continue to rise to the fore that you can share with our audience? I think the biggest branding lesson I've learned is that people that do important things in business uh, and are not exposed to branding need to figure out what branding is and why they're missing something. I already mentioned, you know, disruptive innovation. And I wrote the, the book, uh, Owning Game Changing Subcategories. And it, it's a staggering that branding is not a part of that whole thought industry. And you, you come to uh, social programs and social purpose. And it, it's it's very, it's surprising and disturbing and 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 sad mm-hmm. that these people don't use branding. They don't talk about branded signature programs. They just don't. They talk about brand, grants and volunteering and let's do a lot of good things and measure it and get it done. They talk about it's going to help business. They talk about making windmills. They talk about saving money on energy, but they don't talk about the, the big thing in the room, and which is helping the business brand mm-hmm. and how hard it is for the business brand to get energy, how hard it is to get an energy lift. I mean, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Or, or how hard it is to, to solve a, an image problem. Like uh, I talk about Barclays, who at one time was the least trusted brand in the least trusted industry back in 2008, the, the financial meltdown. And they created a social purpose and a social program called Digital Eagles, where they help people with their making sense out of the digital world and, and, and thriving in the digital world. They tried to correct the trust problem. They tried with every, you know, run all these ads. We're different now. You can trust us. We, in fact, we never were that bad. I mean, they, it didn't work. And they put out these stories on Digital Eagle and trust and everything went out. Trust, consideration, and on and on went up. But mostly they're focusing on trust. They really made a difference. It moved the needle. And, and that was the program, Digital Eagles, and they couldn't do it any other way. Mm-hmm. And so the power of a social program to provide something positive, something you can want to talk about, is enormous. What a great way to end. David, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, Ken. To learn more about David Aker and his new book, The Future of Purpose-Driven Branding, please visit davidaker.com. That's A-A-K-E-R, davidaker.com. And if you have a topic or a speaker you would like to recommend for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.